And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in. we got a lot to talk about today. There has been uh, a lot going on, obviously, in the country and in the world when it comes to abortion. But especially, uh, we're waiting. And look, again, as of the recording of this show, uh, we have not had the, the, the Dobbs decision handed out yet. Now, again, we talked about it the last two weeks. There was a leaked draft that we do believe is pointing to the end of row. We haven't gotten there yet. But if that leaked draft is true, then we know we're getting to a place uh, that pro-lifers have been wanting to be for a very, very long time. And so uh, until we get that decision, we're going to talk about what's going on around the country. Uh, I think it's important uh, to do that. Now, what I want to do today is I want to look at a couple of things. There, there's some things that are happening in the country, happening in Michigan, uh, that, that, uh, and, and then as far as what's happening in Michigan, they're preparing for Roe to be overturned, but they have laws in place that if Roe, that's what's going to be interesting moving forward. Uh, there, there are states like Tennessee that have trigger laws that have been preparing for the day that Roe is overturned. Then there's states like Michigan that had laws on the books years and years and years ago that restricted abortion, and now their politics have changed somewhat. So they may have a Democratic governor, they may have a Republican House and Senate. So they, it's interesting, some of these states had laws on the books back in the day that, that outlawed abortion or at the very least restricted abortion, and so those laws would go back into effect if Roe is overturned, even though the legislature currently uh, do not want to, to do that. And so just an interesting thing, to say the least, not real sure what's going to happen and how that's going to shake out. But I want to look at a couple things uh, moving forward today as we look at what different states are doing, what, what they have, what laws are on the books, what, what places have trigger laws, those things. But I want to start with an article about Amazon. And the, the reason I want to start there is because what we're seeing right now is some very interesting uh, conversations when it comes to uh, maternity leave when it comes to uh, parenting benefits from, from businesses and the like. And so over at the Hill, there's an article. Uh, the headline is, New York accuses Amazon of discriminating against pregnant and disabled workers. Here's what the article says. New York State's human rights watchdog filed a complaint against Amazon on Wednesday, accusing the e-commerce giant of discriminating against pregnant women uh, and disabled workers. Uh, it says, let's see, the governor of New York says, my administration will hold any employer accountable, regardless of how big or small, if they do not treat their workers with the dignity and the respect they deserve. New York has the strongest worker protections in the nation and was one of the first to have protections for workers who are pregnant and those with disabilities. The complaint alleges that Amazon, which employs nearly 40,000 New York New Yorkers, has not reasonably accommodated pregnant or disabled workers who may need their jobs duties to be modified. It also claims that Amazon accommodations policy forces some disabled employees to take unpaid medical leave, even when in-house staffers determine they could do their jobs with some accommodations. Amazon spokesperson Kelly Nantel said that ensuring all our employees, including those with disabilities and expectant mothers, feel safe and supported is extremely important to the company. It's interesting. She actually said expectant mothers. 
I didn't know you could say that in 2022. Uh, we're surprised by the governor's announcement this morning because we've been cooperating and working closely with her investigator on this matter and had no indication of a complaint was coming. Since we haven't received the complaint ourselves yet, we're not in a position to comment further. In one case, the New York State Division of Human Rights alleges that a pregnant worker was approved for an accommodation to not have to lift packages over 25 pounds. A worksite manager allegedly ignored that accommodation, and the worker suffered an injury while working with heavy packages. The worker was uh, subsequent, uh, let's see, was denied further accommodations and forced to take indefinite paid leave. The complaint alleges. So it is interesting that Amazon is in trouble in New York with the way it's treating pregnant women. So you may be thinking, well, why are you bringing this up? I'm bringing this up because when the leaked draft from the Supreme Court uh, was made public, so when Politico wrote that article, what do you have? You, you had a number of businesses, a number of organizations come out, you know, uh, in opposition to that leaked draft. You know, woe is me, Roe's going to be overturned, this can't happen. And so what, what you had was you had a number of organizations, a number of businesses come out and say, well, we're going to go all in. If Roe is overturned and if the state where you live outlaws abortion, we're going to pay for you to go get an abortion somewhere else. So Amazon in New York is mistreating pregnant women, but Amazon has already said they will pay up to $4,000 in travel expenses for women to get an abortion. And see, when Amazon came out and said that, they're celebrated by the same governor that is saying they're mistreating pregnant women in New York. You see, the governor of New York believes that abortion should happen up to nine months. The governor of New York is saying we're all about people's rights and we want to protect pregnant women. And we're mad at Amazon because they're not doing that. But we're celebrating Amazon for being willing to pay $4,000 to be willing to pay $4,000 of travel expenses to get someone to get an abortion. Is that the place we want to be in as a culture? Now, why would Amazon pay? Why would Amazon not take care of their pregnant workers, but pay for those pregnant workers to go in their abortion? Well, that it makes sense financially, right? They can pay a one-time $4,000 travel expense, and then the person gets right back to work. But if you have a pregnant woman get hurt on the job, or you have a pregnant woman choose life and have a baby and want to take maternity leave, you're going to be losing money in that case, right? That, that's their mindset. See, the mindset is not, we want to protect women, we want to, we want to celebrate women, we want to foster an environment that's going to uh, cultivate motherhood and celebrate motherhood. No, the, the goal is what's going to be most helpful to our bottom line. What's going to make us the most money? And also, another reason why they do this is because it's a, it's a chance to 
get to a place where they want to, they want the culture to know that, that they're all about, uh, quote unquote, women's empowerment, quote unquote, women's rights. And you see, they believe abortion is a right granted in the Constitution, even though it's not mentioned anywhere in the Constitution, even though the, the decision of Roe v. Wade was one of the worst court decisions we've ever seen in this country. But you see, they couldn't wait. When, when, when the news came out that, that Roe may be overturned, they couldn't wait to put out a statement saying, we're going to pay for the travel of our workers to go end their pregnancy. They couldn't wait because they knew the, the culture would run to their aid and support them and encourage them and go buy something from Amazon because Amazon's going to pay $4,000 to send somebody to get an abortion. And what's interesting to me is for the, for the longest time, let's be honest, for the longest time, when it came to maternity leave, when it came to creating an environment that would celebrate parenthood, that would celebrate motherhood, that would celebrate fatherhood, the, the, that, that has been, from a political perspective, that has kind of been a, a democratic uh, ideal. Now, we've kind of moved away from that where it, uh, we've seen over the last few years, we've seen Republicans pick up that mantle. You saw that when uh, when Trump was in office, his daughter, that was her big push, was maternity leave. You, you've seen that with Marco Rubio, with Mitt Romney, with some other uh, national conservative political leaders that are saying, hey, we need to do more to cultivate motherhood. We need to do more to cultivate fatherhood, to cultivate parenthood. We want to get to a place where we can allow for the space for moms to be moms and dads to be dads without the fear of losing their job. That should be a conservative pro-life position. You can do that without pumping trillions of dollars into, uh, into the economy from the federal government. You can do that by encouraging companies to do that. You can give incentives. You can give tax breaks. Of course, that's where that's going to have to be a conservative uh, position because tax breaks won't come from the other side. And so as we think through the new day, the post-Roe era, if the conservative movement doesn't pick up, if the pro-life movement doesn't pick up the cultivating of parenthood within our culture, then we're missing a, a, an amazing opportunity. Because you can't say as the governor of New York, Amazon is acting wrongly and also celebrate Amazon for paying their employees to go abort their child. You see, culture has created a devaluing system. So why is culture upset at Amazon for mistreating disabled people and mistreating parents, mothers, that are pregnant, why would the culture be upset at Amazon for doing that when the culture has devalued the disabled, when the culture has devalued mothers, when the culture has devalued fathers? You see, a secular culture is going to eventually run up against itself. 
How dare they mistreat their pregnant employees while also saying we need to be able to abort babies up to nine months? While also saying, if you find out your baby has Down syndrome, you should abort that baby. See, you can't have it both ways. If you find out that that your baby has a deformity or will be disabled, you should abort your baby. That is what culture is saying. And at the same time, culture is saying, Amazon, treat your employees better. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because eventually the secular culture runs up against itself and the fallacy is exposed and the nonsense is exposed and then we see, oh, none of this makes sense. None of it makes sense. So if, if I'm Amazon in this scenario and Amazon is a, is a company not based on Christian values, not based on anything except making a lot of money. If I'm Amazon, I'm looking at that governor and going, what do you want me to do? Because I'm confused. We either value life or we don't value life. And culture is saying we don't value it. So if you're listening to this and and you find yourself going, I don't agree with anything this man is saying and I'm not pro-life. I just listen so I can hear the other side. What, What I want you to know is this is what the culture needs to wrestle with. Because it doesn't make any sense. We need to fight for the rights of employees. We need to fight for the rights of pregnant women. We need to fight for the rights of the disabled. And at the same time, they're arguing, we need to fight for the right to, to end the life of babies. We need to fight for the right to end the life of disabled people. That, you see, those arguments make no sense together. And this is why we find ourselves in the situation that we're in, where we have devalued life at the beginning stage. And so it devalues life across the board. And when we do that, we find ourselves in a, in a tough and terrible situation like this. And so at the very least, this is exposing the hypocritical nature that is the, the pro-abortion movement. You can't argue for employees' rights while also arguing for the right to end the life of a child in the womb. It all starts there. You devalue in the womb, you devalue all the way to the end of life. That's where we're at. We'll be back. You are here moving in the So there's a lot of questions surrounding what does it mean if Roe is overturned? And and I want anyone that's listening to this, I, I want you first to know if Roe is overturned, it does not outlaw abortion across the country. Now, that is a myth uh, that, that pro-abortion folks are saying. That is a myth that pro-life folks are saying. That is not true. If Roe is overturned, it does not outlaw abortion across the country. It simply sends it back to the states. It sends it back to the states, and then the states will legislate. Some states have trigger laws. Some states have laws in place that, that will allow for abortion up to nine months. Some states are, are finding out that they have 
they have old laws on the books that will go back into effect and, and their governors and some folks that are like, well, we don't want those laws to go back into effect. But all that to say, it goes back to the states. Listen and know that it goes back to the states. Well, the question is, what's that going to look like in our union? Is that going to be, is it just red states that are, are all the red conservative states going to outlaw abortion? Are all the blue states going to allow for abortion? Is there purple states? What does that look like? So what I want to do now is kind of give you an idea. Uh, the New York Times did this breakdown. Again, the reason why I bring up some of these publications is because I, I'm not just going to uh, pro-life publications. Uh, you know, I, I certainly reference many of those, uh, but I'm also going to reference other publications, and I do that for a couple reasons. One thing, at, at times they do good research, and other things I want to call them on their nonsense. And so, uh, but but in this case, New York, New York Times has done a good job of kind of breaking down what the country will look like if Roe is overturned. And, and here's what it says. It says, 13 states have so-called trigger laws, which were passed in the years since the Roe decision in 1973, and explicitly note they would outlaw abortion within their borders if the Supreme Court allowed it. In a few states, Kentucky, Louisiana, Oklahoma, South Dakota, the bans would take effect immediately. So Kentucky, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and South Dakota, their trigger laws take effect immediately. So if Roe is overturned, the immediate uh, that that triggers immediately those laws to go into effect in Kentucky, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and South Dakota. In others, like Idaho and Tennessee, the ban would go into effect 30 days after the Supreme Court struck down Roe. Other states may require certification from the state attorney general or a legislative council for the ban to become law, a process that could take weeks. All of these states make exceptions to the ban if the life or health of the woman is in danger, but many do not make exceptions for pregnancies that are a result of rape or incest. So the 13 states, listen to this, the 13 states that have trigger laws, now some of these states, the, the laws will go into effect immediately. Some of these states, it'll be a 30-day process. Some of these states, it'll have to go through the legislative uh, action. It could take up to a, a few weeks. Some of these states, the attorney general will have to sign off on, and the, and the list goes on and on. But here are the 13 states that currently have trigger laws. Idaho, Utah, Idaho, Utah, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Kentucky. So for, so for those of you that are listening to, to us right now, in the state of Tennessee, if you're wondering, hey, what are the states close to us doing? Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, all have trigger, trigger laws in place. Five states have a pre-row abortion ban that could be enforced again. So five states have decades-old abortion laws on the books that were invalidated by the Roe decision but could be brought to life again though enforcement in each state remains unclear. And so what that means is before Roe was put in place, these are states that had laws in place that, that either banned or restricted abortion. And it's interesting because what this, what this tells us is how, how far our country, how, how much our country has changed. So you have 
the five states that have pre-Roe abortion ban are Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, which I'm going to talk about here in a second, West Virginia, and Alabama. The Democratic governors of Michigan and Wisconsin have publicly stated their support for abortion rights and have vetoed anti-abortion bills. In April, Governor Gretchen uh, Whitmer of Michigan went so far as to file a lawsuit asking the state Supreme Court to immediately resolve whether Michigan's Constitution protects the right to abortion. In West Virginia, the, pro, the pre-Roe ban on abortion would be likely to take effect. But in Arizona, the governor, Doug Ducey, has said that an, a recent ban on abortion after 15 weeks would take precedence. And Alabama would probably seek to enforce a total ban on abortion passed in 2019 instead. North Carolina had a pre-Roe ban that was modified in the late 60s. And legal experts in the state said that a 20-week ban passed in 2015 but currently unenforceable would take precedence. So there's the five that we are seeing that have pre-abortion uh, bans that, that predate the Roe decision. Fourteen states could ban abortions occurring even before fetal viability. Uh, Fourteen states could restrict abortion to 22 weeks or earlier, and many of these may move to ban the procedure entirely in the months ahead. Uh, let's see, who are the 14 states that, that, that will be looking at doing that? You have Montana, Arizona, Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, Wisconsin, Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, and Florida. States' ability to set limits on abortion past the point of fetal viability, typically about 24 weeks of pregnancy, which that's, you know, that, that changes uh, every year, was affirmed in a 1992 ruling, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the Supreme Court also appears set to overturn. Without Roe or Casey, state laws restricting abortion to 20 weeks, 15 weeks, or 6 weeks could take effect. So what that means is, what we've seen since Roe, is we've seen a number of states try to pass laws that would restrict abortion up to a certain point. So for some, it's like, hey, up to 20 weeks, you, you can have an abortion after 20 weeks, no abortion. Some states, like even the Dobbs case out of Mississippi, well, what are we seeing? It was an ask for a 15-week, 15 15-week 15 ban. So after 15 weeks, you couldn't get an abortion. And so it's called incrementalism, folks. It's a incremental approach to ending abortion. It's we're going to chip away at it and chip away at it and chip away at it until we see movement, until we get to a better place. And then there were some that said, look, we're going to continue to chip away at it, like Tennessee. We're, we're going to try to put these bans in place. We're going, to do, we're going to ladder it out. We're going to do all these things. But also, in the meantime, we're going to put in a trigger law that if Roe is overturned at any point in time, we're going to be able to ban abortion in the state of Tennessee. And, and so the incremental approach is a great approach while also trying to fully uh, get rid of abortion. And so it's the political process. This is where we are. So many of the early gestational limits are currently enjoined in state courts, but some, like Indiana and West Virginia's 22-week bans, for example, are in effect. The attorneys general in some states would be expected to ask judges to dismiss or uphold their gestational bans if Roe and Casey were overturned. 
Uh, see, in some states, including Montana and Florida, the highest courts have previously recognized the right to abortion under each state's constitution. Despite this, Florida recently approved a 15-week ban on abortion, which would take effect on July 1st, and Montana approved a 20-week ban in 2019, currently not in effect. In Kansas, residents will vote in August on whether the right to an abortion should remain in the state constitution. Altogether, abortion may be banned or tightly restricted in as many as 28 states in the weeks and months ahead. 22 states are likely to remain unchanged, retaining broad access to abortion. Some are also working to expand abortion protections, especially for medical providers. The Supreme Court's final decision is expected sometime in June. And so, again, what we're going to have is we're going to have some states that go all in. Abortion is not going to happen here. Then you're going to have some states that go all in. You can get all the abortions you want in this state. And then you're going to have some states that are tiptoeing. You can get an abortion up to 15 weeks. You can get an abortion up to 10 weeks. You can get an abortion up to 20 weeks. So if Roe is overturned, it goes back to the states and the legislatures, the governors, the voters of those states. Hear me. The voters of those states will decide, which is the way it should be. And then hopefully one day... We'll put our head on right and we'll, we'll get bold enough to say abortion should be unthinkable and how dare us for the atroci atrocity that we put on this place since 1973. Let's do better. We'll be back. Let's go down to that age old Let's go down to that So as we continue the conversation, look, I've been, I've been talking about uh, some things that are going on in Michigan. I'm not going to go into great detail on that. I will. I'll probably touch on that uh, in the next show. But, but one thing to note about a lot of what's happening is one thing that we're starting to see, and we we saw this last week with uh, some hearings in D.C. We're seeing this as things play out. We're seeing a number of judges uh, that are uh, that have ties to the abortion industry. So in Michigan, you have a judge that made a pretty big decision that, that is openly uh, and publicly a, a supporter of Planned Parenthood, has received a Planned Parenthood Advocate Award, uh, is a donor to Planned Parenthood, is, is a, an advocate for abortion. And so it's interesting to me, they, they get upset at Clarence Thomas, they get upset at, at Alito, they get upset at some of these justices that they say are just right-wing nuts. And are more politicians and, and partisan than they are judges, but they celebrate a judge in Michigan that is an actual abortion advocate and is giving money to Planned Parenthood. You see, we, we are at a, a strange place where we don't even recognize the hypocrisy in what we say, Some, similar to what happened in New York. They don't even recognize the hypocrisy of saying, Amazon, treat your employees better, treat pregnant women better. But also Amazon, good job for, for wanting to pay for women to get an abortion. It makes no sense. But we need to be aware of those things. We need to be aware of the conflicts of interest. Those matter. People sitting on the courts should, should be uh, unbiased and should base their decisions on the Constitution. Now, I know in 2022, being unbiased on anything is, is not uh, an easy ask, but that's what we should have. Now I want to look at what's happening around the country. It's interesting to me. When you hear about protest, 
our country and the narrative is one side of the political spectrum are violent, hateful, and looking to harm. And the other side is just simply looking for justice or fighting for women's rights. Or there's a lot of passionate people. That's what we heard the administration say when, when people are, are protesting outside the homes of the Supreme Court, justices, homes that, that have young kids living in them, neighborhoods that have young kids in the, the neighborhood. We're told by the administration that, yeah, no one should be violent, but these, there's a lot of passionate people, and we're not going to tell them not to protest outside of people's private residences. Well, DHS just, just put out an, uh, a memo that, that shows even more why we should be not allowing people to protest outside the homes of Supreme Court justices. And this is why. The U.S. government is bracing for a potential surge in political violence once the Supreme Court hands down the ruling that's expected to overturn Roe v. Wade, according to a Department of Homeland Security memo. The big picture, law enforcement agencies are investigating social media threats to burn down or storm the Supreme Court building and murder justices and their clerks, as well as attacks targeting places of worship and abortion clinics. The unclassified May 13 memo by DHS intelligence arm says threats that followed the leak of a draft opinion targeting Supreme Court justices, lawmakers, and other public officials, as well as clergy, are likely to persist and may increase leading up to and following the issuing of the court's official ruling. Now, now even, even Axios, who wrote this article, they, they give context. Listen to the, the context that they give. Abortion-related violence historically has been driven by anti-abortion extremists. Some racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists embrace pro-life narratives, may be linked to the perception of wanting to save children and fight genocide. But the memo warns that this time extremist acts could come from abortion rights proponents as well. And so the DHS spokesperson said the department is committed to protecting Americans' freedoms of speech and other civil rights and civil liberties, including the right to peacefully protest. And so now I'm not going to continue to read the article. The, the article, even though the Department of Homeland Security is saying, look, places of worship may be targeted, Supreme Court justices may be targeted, they even still make it out like it's going to be the pro-lifers that, that are instigating all of this. If they, wouldn't just, if they wouldn't overturn Roe, none of this would happen. They're, they're unwilling to admit what everyone knows. That there's already been a pregnancy center in Oregon have their windows busted out and, and graffiti. There's been an advocacy group for life that had their windows busted that, and, and a note that said... If abortion is not going to be safe, then you won't be safe either. So there's already been acts of violence. Yet they're not willing to just simply say, it's wrong, let's, let's get, get in front of this. I mean, there, there are threats to attacking and burning down the Supreme Court. There are threats to the lives of Supreme Court justices, and, and our administration is unwilling to say, do not go out in front of private residents 
of Supreme Court justices. If you want to protest, you have a right to protest. Look, hear me. You have a right to do that. That should happen on public property. That should happen in D.C. It should not happen at the home of individuals. And that's why governors in Florida and some other places are starting to put in uh, in barriers and laws to make sure those things don't happen in their states. And frankly, the Virginia governor needs to do a little bit more to protect its citizens. And so as we, as we think about this, we, we, have, we have a cloud that's kind of hovering over this decision. And, and it's what we knew. We knew that if Roe was overturned one day, that people would lose their mind. We knew that. But I told you last week and the week before that what's going to happen What's going to happen moving forward is now the abortion industry is going to have to defend that which they stand for. They are no longer going to be able to argue this is a a constitutional right. This is a woman's right. They're not going to be able to argue that because that's hogwash anyway, but it's definitely going to be hogwash after Rose overturned. And so now what they're going to have to do is actually argue their stance. And what we're finding is they haven't thought through any of this. It's really interesting. Pro-lifers, I mean, the pro-lifers that I talk to, we have fought through this issue for decades. Every single issue, we've thought through it. If somebody says, what about rape and incest? We've thought through it. If somebody says, what about the first trimester, second trimester, third trimester? We've thought through it. If somebody says, well, what about requiring dads to be more responsible? We've thought through it. If somebody says, what about maternity leave and paternity leave and creating an environment that fosters motherhood and fatherhood? We've thought through it. We can have that dialogue, that discussion. Why? Because we care deeply about this issue. It appears as if the abortion industry has not thought through it because they thought abortion would always be a thing. Even though the writing was on the wall that it wouldn't always be a thing. As a, as a society progresses scientifically... As the society progresses with, progresses with the with the data and with the knowledge that we currently have and with technology that we currently have, you cannot live in the freest country and be okay with ending the life of children in the womb in the way that we do that. It eventually is going to catch up to you. And what we saw last week with hearings in D.C. was we saw congressmen and women asking simple questions to abortion proponents, questions that they could not answer. There was one in particular where it was asked, do you believe that men can get pregnant? And they stumbled because they can't simply say no. Now, why can't they? The bulk of the populace would tell you men can't get pregnant. But you see, the, the, these folks believe that Twitter is real life. They believe that every human on the planet is on Twitter, and they're watching, and they're woke, and they're concerned, and, they, and you have to say pregnant people and not pregnant women and, and all this nonsense. The reality is most people are going, what are you talking about? And then one lady was asked, now, you would agree that 
that you shouldn't kill a toddler, right? You would agree that, that a mom shouldn't be able to take the life of their toddler. And the lady said, yeah. And he says, well, what's the difference between that two-year-old and that two-year-old when it was 10 months old? What about when that 10-month-old was two weeks old? What about when that two-week-old was one day old? What about when that one day old was seven hours old? Eight inches up the birth canal was the only difference. Are you telling me that it's okay eight inches before it comes out of the mom to abort, but once baby's out, it's, it's a human? And the lady looked at the, the congressman and said, I believe women know what to do with their bodies and should have that right, full stop. What she was saying in that moment, up until birth, a woman can make a decision to abort a baby. And then one lady was a doctor that performs abortions, and they asked her, when does human life begin? Her answer, she's a doctor. Her answer was, when the baby is born. That's when life begins. Oh, I'm sorry. I, explain that to me someone that has a, a medical degree, that, that life doesn't happen or begin before the birth, then what's happening the nine months prior to the birth? We're going to talk more about that when we come back. So as we finish up, I ended the last segment talking about a doctor that was questioned in front of Congress uh, or in front of a committee last week. And when asked, when does a, uh, a fetus become a human, her answer, this is a medical degree, you know, some would say expert, professional. When does human life begin? Her answer was, well, after the fetus is born. So once it comes out of the birth canal, then boom, you have a human. Now, now the problem with the way the committee uh, is is structured, you you only have what you know five minutes or so to ask these questions, and part of that time is you asking the question, part of that time is the person answering, and so you don't really get to flesh that out. I would have said, uh, I would have asked a number of things following that up. Well, what happened? What was going on the previous nine months? How does that human that you say doesn't become human until it's born? How is it? progressing in the womb if it's not a life before its birth i mean what what is what's happening and again remember what i said in the first the first segment eventually the secular culture and the abortion argument and their their devaluing of life eventually those stances and belief systems run up against each other and so they, they scream, we got to have human rights. They, they scream, we, we have to have women's rights. And, and now in 2022, you can't even answer in front of a, a, a committee what a woman is. So what is women's rights? Well, we got to have employees' rights. We got to fight for those that are disabled while also arguing that we need to abort those that are disabled. 
We got to fight for women while also arguing for the right to abort women. We got to stand for the African American community while also fighting for the right to abort the African American community. You see, eventually their argument runs up against each other because it's nonsensical. So if it's not a life until it's born, why do we why do we see signs at theme parks saying if you're pregnant, don't ride this ride? Is that for the protection of the mom or the protection of the non-human that's growing inside of it? Why, when you go and get a, a script filled at a pharmacy, do they ask if you were pregnant? Now, is that to protect the mom or to protect the non-human that's growing inside of her? What I, I'm confused. Because it seems as if we, we have protections in place for that non-human that's growing inside the woman. So if it's a non-human, why are we protecting it? You, you mean, you're not even saying it's an animal. So it's just a thing Why are we protecting it? We're protecting it because we know that it's a human. So you can sit up under oath in front of any committee that you want to and tell me that it's not a human until birth, and I'm going to look at you and go, that's nonsense. The laws say it's nonsense. Our common sense say it's nonsense. The invitations we receive to baby showers say it's nonsense. The invitations we receive to gender reveal parties say it's nonsense. The tears of joy when we find out we're having a child says it's nonsense. Ten care says it's nonsense because we can put women on ten care while they're pregnant. Why? Because they are pregnant. So, so as we think through this, it is clear the abortion industry hasn't thought through this. So as you have conversations... And as these things play out, you don't have to be rude. You don't have to be hateful. You don't have to be angry. All you have to do is lay it out in front of them at the nonsensical way we do things in our society. Because, again, once they have to start arguing these points, once they are in front of cameras telling the world that that humans don't become humans until they're birthed, the world is going to look at them and go, that's, that's nonsense. What is this thing kicking me in my belly? It, if it's not a human, what is it? Why does the pharmacist continue to ask me if I'm pregnant or not? Why, when my wife was pregnant, could she not do and provide x-rays on animals? Was it to protect my wife or to protect the baby growing inside of her? Folks, we know to our core that it's life. And what's going to play out over the next few weeks and months is the abortion industry is going to have to look our country in the eye and say with boldness, we know it's a life and we still want to end it. And you tell me how that's going to play out. How that's going to play out for a bulk of our society that goes, well, hold on, that's not what I meant when I said I was pro-choice. That seems crazy to me. We're on the cusp of something monumental and great, and I cannot wait to see it because it's going to play out, and these conversations are going to happen, interviews are going to happen, committee hearings are going to happen, and the world is going to see 
the nonsense that is the abortion industry. And life will be celebrated because of it. We'll talk to you next time.